0: Listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winterhaven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Are you glad you're here today? Let's look at Daniel chapter four. We've been studying the book of Daniel. You know when we uh, when we tell stories. Most of the time we tell stories of our life, we tell the ones that present us in a good light. We tell the stories about something we've accomplished or done that makes us feel good about ourselves. Because human beings want to feel good about themselves. They they want to feel successful. They, They want to feel like they're appreciated and needed. We want to be admired by others. Because we admire individuals... And, and, and we, we want what that must feel like on the other side. Well, I admire them so much. I would love if someone admired me that way. In fact, we might even take it a little farther than wanting to be admired. And we might envy the kind of, of persona that gets admired and appreciated. It's why we like likes on social media. It's why we'll take a thousand pictures to get the one that we're satisfied with. And then we'll even doctor it up with Photoshop in order to get the perception, in order to get the likes. And boy, does it really send us into the stratosphere when we get a love. Likes are one thing, but loves, oh my goodness. Why? Because we are, well, we're vain is what it is are we not where does vanity come from if not from pride what is pride pride is the elevation of oneself and the assuming of credit for what god alone has made possible pride sin god's people need to be reminded that pride leads to judgment and humility leads to their flourishing. You want to flourish as a human being? Humility is the way. But pride is how we come at it naturally when it's humility that leads us into God's blessing. Today we're going to look at the humble testimony of a prideful king. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know the king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. He is the king of the nation of Babylon, and Babylon is the most uh, uh, elevated kingdom in all of the world, at least in the known world as far as the scripture uh, leads us to understand. The nation of Babylon has taken captive God's people, the nation of Judah. And has brought them into captivity. In fact, he's going to bring them into captivity three different times. They're going to go and they're going to do different, uh, uh, different destructions in the city. And ultimately destroy the temple and the walls. And he's going to bring people back to Babylon. The first go around. Nebuchadnezzar ordered the upper crust, the best looking, the smartest, the ones that will be uh, most easy to re-educate into the ways of the Babylonians. They were to be brought first, and in that rank was four individuals. We know them as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But you probably remember them most easily as Daniel, who also was renamed Belshazzar. And his three friends' Babylonian names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I want you to learn them as Hananiah, Meshiel, and Azariah. Because that's their Hebrew names, and those names reflect the character of who God is. Their Babylonian names are simply a, a, a nod to the Babylonian false deities. But nevertheless, that's how we remember them. We saw in Daniel chapter 1 that even when God's people are under God's judgment... God still responds to those who will submit faithfully to him. In chapter number 2, we saw the scenery change a bit. And God gave King Nebuchadnezzar a dream that was going to lay out human history until the return of Jesus. Showing the kingdoms that are led by the Gentiles in the time of which Gentiles would be allowed to rule the world. God's people would be under the governing of these Gentile leaders. But God showed that as one kingdom came, another would follow, and another would follow, and then another would follow until ultimately a stone not cut by hands came from a mountain crushing the entire statue. All of the kingdoms of men would be crushed made into dust and wind blown away by this stone that would then increase into a mountain that would engulf the entire earth and would never be overthrown, and this being the kingdom of God that will be set up over all Gentile earthly kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. and God showed Nebuchadnezzar, your time is limited and I'm always in control. My plan has been established in the heavens from eternity past and it will be accomplished. In chapter number three, we see how that, that God demonstrated to Nebuchadnezzar that if you try to uh, stand in his way or against those that, that would call on his name, that he is fully capable of preserving them. And you'll remember the three young men that were cast into the fire because of their unwillingness to bow before the pagan, uh, the pagan idol, the statue that had been erected by King Nebuchadnezzar. And because of their unwillingness to bow down and worship something other than Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and all of the other forefathers, they were cast into the flame as an expression of King Nebuchadnezzar's sovereignty over all the people. And what Nebuchadnezzar was allowed to see is that he has no sovereignty whatsoever. Because in the fire, he recognized the three that were thrown in and one more walking around with them that the king said looked like a son of the gods. And we saw in Daniel chapter number 3 that in this time of Gentile rule, where yes, God allows them to rule, No one can stand between God's people and their God. We heard those three say, our God is able to deliver us. But if not, and we talked about how that over the centuries, far more have been consumed by the fire with God's presence with them as a testimony of giving their life for their love for Him, But whenever God wants to deliver us out of the fire, he is perfectly capable. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a front row seat. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to have another dream. And what's going to happen in this chapter is we're going to change from the perspective of Daniel. and It's going to be as if Daniel hands the microphone to the king and allows the king to begin sharing his own experience. We pick up in Daniel chapter number 4. Verse number 1 is going to show us how God reduced a proud king. Verse number 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his works. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Why, why, why does it sound like that that a, a change has happened in the king? Why, why does it sound as though he's seeing the God of Daniel and the three faithful servants in a different way? It's because he has Nebuchadnezzar is proclaiming an experience that he has gone through in the past. And he's recalling, but he's beginning this story with a praise to the God that he certainly sees in a different light now, having gone through the experience that he's gone through. We see the words of a king who desired others to learn from his past experience. Verse number 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Let that sink in. Things were going good for King Nebuchadnezzar. Things were going well. He had all of his needs met. He had all of his wants and desires fulfilled. Things were great in the palace. And I saw a dream that made me afraid. We've been here before. We've had a dream before that troubled the king. We're back again. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. This was more than just a a, a troubling dream. This was a five-alarm fire. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon uh, should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers came And I told them the dream. He's he's changing his way from from chapter 2 when he wanted the magicians to tell him the dream. Maybe that took longer than he wanted to know the interpretation. So now he's telling the dream. Let's get this show on the road because I need to know what this is about. I'm troubled by this. But they could not make known to me the interpretation. You, You think these guys just need to be outright fired? I mean, what, what do they do? I mean, it's like a lot of the government employees, what, what, what do y'all do? Why do we have so many redundancies? Yeah, yeah, he can save a lot of money. Anyway, at last, he says, Daniel came before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, in case you didn't remember what his Babylonian name was, after the name of my God. Remember, he's talking about his past. And I think he's saying in the name of my God, meaning that was the God that he saw as supreme when he gave him the name, or when the name was given. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? Again, this pantheistic language that the king is using because that's what he knows. And That's where he was at at the time of his dream. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, And that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. And its height was great. And the tree grew and became strong. And its top reached to the heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher. It was probably an angel that he saw. But again, he's using the language that that he was familiar with. This celestial being of such. Maybe it was just an angel. Maybe it was an angel of the Lord. Maybe it was a pre-incarnate vision of God the Son himself. But this watcher appeared, a holy one. He came down from heaven and he proclaimed aloud and said thus. Here's the message. Chop down the tree. Lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump, don't dig it out, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. He's, he's going uh, to put a, put a band around it to keep that stump from splitting, to keep it intact. He's got a plan for this stump amid the tender grass of the field. Now it changes from the tree to the message becomes personal to a him. The watcher said, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. What gets wet with dew? Things left outside. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. What do beasts eat cows and horses? Grass. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. How long is the seven periods? It's an undefined number. It's a, it's a, a measure of sevens, whatever this is, undefined we see in these verses the nightmare that was going to lead not just to the elongated history of mankind, but was going to be the key to the very imminent future events of this one having the dream. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, this one says. The decree by the word of the holy ones. To this end, this is why this is happening. So that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and that it gives to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Why is this happening? So the world will know that the Most High rules supreme over the kingdoms of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able. The spirit of the holy gods is in you. Tell me, Belteshazzar, what does this mean? Verse 19, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him as Daniel, knowing the interpretation as he's hearing the dream, becomes troubled himself because he knows this news is not good news. This news is going to be hard to hear and even harder to say. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. It's going to be okay, whatever it is. Tell me what it is. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, lowercase Lord, by the way, my Lord, my King, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. King, I I wish this was not a message to you. I wish it was to the ones that, that hate you and your enemies. I wish I was proclaiming this to the folks that hate you. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its tops reached the heavens, and it was visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and which food was for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and, those, uh, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. O king, that tree, it is you, O king. You have grown and become strong, and your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, your dominions to the ends of the earth. And Because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree from the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. This message is from God Most High. Not God Most High among all other gods, but God Most High alone is God, and all others are nothing. King, that you have been driven from among men... And your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He will. O king, God is going to reduce you. He is going to bring you down. O king, the one who is elevated as high as any king ever has been, you are going to be brought low by the hand of your creator, by the hand of God most high, so that all will know that he rules supreme, and you will be reduced until you are ready to admit that without reservation. And that is, as, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Isn't it just like God to give the worst news possible and then come right behind it with some really good news? Yeah, one of those things that, that is the worst news possible. You ready? You were born in sin. And there's nothing you can do to change it. And because of your sin, you are now God's enemy by fact of the matter that God cannot have fellowship with anything that is unholy. And so therefore, you are God's enemy, incapable of changing anything. You are condemned because of the sin you committed uh, by proxy in the garden. And I wasn't in the garden. Yes, but then your life demonstrated it. Just as soon as you could sin, you did yourself. That's some really bad news. And because of our sin, what do we deserve? Not only do we deserve physical death, but we deserve eternal death. Separated from God in a place not designed for us, but a place that is of torment. Of which we don't know a lot, but we do know it is a bad, bad place. Not designed for mankind, but the destination of those who go into eternity in their sin that they can't change, that was thrust upon them by the mere fact of their humanity. That's some really, really bad news. Followed up with the fact that yet God loves you. And in his love for you, he has provided a way of escape, a way of forgiveness, a way of salvation. And it's free. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You'll never achieve it. But it's been achieved for you through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God the Son, on the cross, in your place for your sin, raised to life, raised from the dead to prove that that sacrifice was indeed accepted by a holy Holy God and is sufficient for all who will by faith, not by works, embrace Jesus and Jesus alone as Lord and Savior. Well, I am just waiting on y'all. You want to try it again? Okay. All right. Yes. I know you were riding the wave and you were like, is he done? Yeah, I was done. So anyway, that's an amen moment right there. In fact, that's the only amen moment if you think about it. Everything else pales in comparison, right? So really, really bad news followed by some really good news. King, God's going to chop you down, man. God's going to send you outside. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to eat grass when the table is full of all these delicacies. You're not going to respond. You're going to be out in the open. You're going to be judged and you're going to be there until God says, okay, enough time. And then he's going to give you the opportunity to decide whether or not he's in control or you're in control. But I think it's great news for you. If you admit he's in control, well, he's going to put you right back into that place of honor. That's some really good news. Oh, king, let's try to avoid that, could we? If we could avoid all of that, wouldn't that be the smarter idea? And you say, yes. And if you've ever raised teenagers, they go, no, let's do it the hard way. And you say, okay, you know why? Because you did it the hard way, right? We're numbskulls, we're bozos, we're morons. Daniel says, don't be a moron, O oh king. Let's avoid all of this. Let's don't have to go through all of this terrible, terrible stuff. Do this. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Hey, J- hey, hey, hey! What if you decided, King, today that God rules over all and that you're not supreme? What, what if you did that? You could avoid everything. You could just declare Him the one. Let's avoid it. This is coming, King. Cast off, break off your sins by practicing righteousness in your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. you got plenty of them under your control. Show some mercy to them. Give them a day off. Show them some love. Quit, quit treating them like, a, like a, a hardened boss that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He's not asking him to work for his salvation. He's saying, see God differently and prove it by your actions. We can avoid all this. Okay. That's all I needed, Daniel. Daniel went back to his place. Verse number 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, you know, enough time passes, we forget about stuff, right? It's why we have these, we, we can have some emotional reviving experiences. And if it's just emotion, you know, all you need is about four weeks. And it'll be gone, and you'll be right back to what you were. Right when it's only emotion, you just go back to the way it was. In the same way, we can hear God's word proclaimed, and we can say, "Yep, that's what I need to do." But we've figured out how to get up after we pray and before we even hit the double doors. If our life depended on it, we could not even say what the message was. Oh, it was about Daniel, it was about a dream and a tree and the chop down, something like that. Because we're not prepared. King Nebuchadnezzar was not prepared. God gave him a whole year to stew on it. At the end of 12 months, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king answered and said, Look at all of this, would you? I'm told that the hanging gardens of Babylon is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because King Nebuchadnezzar was a builder. He was a visionary And he used the labor of the slaves of the people he conquered in order to build one of, if not the most majestic kingdoms in all of human history. And the king walking around on the rooftop said, would you look at this? Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a a royal residence for the glory of my majesty... Look what I have done as he pats himself and is basting in his pride and arrogance. And watch this, 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. God's given him 12 months of grace. And now God comes in holiness, righteousness, and justice. And he comes bearing his word. Here's what the word said from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Verse 33, immediately, immediately the word was fulfilled. He fell to his hands and knees. He lost his faculties. He lost his mind. He no longer thought like a man. He began acting like an animal, making noises instead of verbalizing words. He began to root around. He began to ignore all the commonalities of human existence. He looked for a way out of the palace so that he might find sustenance for himself. In the yard. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with dew from heaven. Listen to this. Till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. Now, I'm not going to tell you the facts on how long it takes hair to grow and nails to come out. But we're wondering what that seven periods are. We know it ain't days. We know it ain't months. This has got to at least be years. Seven years will grow a head of hair. Seven years finally got me the beard you see today. But that's just because I don't grow it very fast. But seven years will get a nice set of nails on your hands and your feet. Seven periods of time. And this is what happened. And outside he was. Some Bible teachers have speculated that during this time, no doubt, Daniel in his elevated position made sure that the king remained safe. Because it would have been very ordinary, probably more along the lines of expected, that if a king is unable to fulfill his duties, that someone in the kingdom would step up and help him find a new place to live. And put a new king on the throne. But some have said no. Daniel would have protected the life of this one who was his oppressor. But because of his love for God and his submission to God. By his submission to his authorities. Very likely he protected King Nebuchadnezzar. While God did to him exactly what he promised. God reduced A proud king who is arrogant and prideful and judged. Verse number 34 shows us the beginning of God restoring a humble man. He went down as a prideful king. He looked up as a humble man. At the end of the days, look at him. He's telling his own story. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him who lives forever. When the time was over, and he awakened from whatever trance or or illness that he was kept captive under, he recognized that he was in a place of judgment, in a place of fulfillment of the words of God Most High. And when he had the opportunity, he took the first exit. Not the, okay, Gainesville, next three exits. You can decide whether you're going to get off in Gainesville for three whole... Hey, not King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar opened his eyes, saw the exit of submission, and said, I'm going. Cut across every lane of traffic to take that exit. He looked up and he said these six things. Number one, God most high, your dominion is an everlasting dominion. God most high, your kingdom endures throughout all generations, from generation to generation. Number three, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing compared to you. Nobody is anything. Compared to you, including me, most specifically me. I'm nothing compared to you. Number four, God most high, you do according to your will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Whatever you want to do, God, you do it. Whether it's where you're at or where I'm at, you're in complete sovereign control. You are the one. Number five, No one can stay your hand. No one can say to God who has made up his mind, well, I'll go talk to him, I'll change his mind. Or I'll gather up a few of my friends, we'll stand up to him, show him who's bought. Nobody can stop what you've decided to do. Nobody, not even and especially not me. Number six, nobody can say, what have you done? Have you ever done that to an employee or to a child? You walk into the city like, what happened? What was gone for five minutes. What have you done here? Nobody can say that to God. Nobody can say, God, I, you know, I appreciate your thought, but you probably should have taken it. No, you can't. Why? Because he is supreme over all. You can't stop him and you can't accuse him because whatever he does is always Right. And we had best just get on board. I praised the name. When he submitted to God Most High, Luke 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. All the stuff I'd forgotten, all the stuff that I hadn't been doing, I looked around and went, I need a haircut I get some nails trimmed. I, I am a mess. I realize just exactly what I have become. All my reason came to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and splendor returned to me when I submitted to God. God said, "Very good." You want to go back inside now? Yes, sir, I do. You want to put some clothes on? I sure do. I'm a little embarrassed right now. Hey, you want to sit on that throne? I've been saving it for you. Amen. How about something to eat? God, I already got it prepared for you. It's ready to sit down. Woo, hallelujah, King skipped inside and got to step right back into his place with a whole different mindset about who's in control. My counselors, my lords, they sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me because that's just the way our God dishes it out in abundance. All he wanted was submission. Now listen to the king. He tells you, now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What is the point of this lesson today? Nebuchadnezzar served as an example to all of the kingdoms of men. And here's what the example is. God does and will rule supreme. And if he gives you the throne, you do best to recognize it. Because if you don't, he's just going to move you out of the way anyway. Because you're nothing compared to him. And so all of those earthly kingdoms, including the ones we live in today, need to hear the message from King Nebuchadnezzar. It says, you ain't nothing. And your great armies aren't anything. And your ability to defend yourself and conquer and have conquest and rule and reign, that's only because God has gifted you the scepter for a period of time. And when he's done with you, he'll rip it from your hands with no effort at all. And bring another one in until the stone, our Savior, our King returns and said, let God's kingdom be established and let it reign unchallenged forevermore. And we can get on board with that today. But don't miss what King Nebuchadnezzar says. And to the prideful, God is able to humble. So what is the lesson that we learn today? It's the ugly truth about our pride. Where we elevate ourselves, where we want to be admired, we desire to be envied, and we communicate and we say because we want likes and loves, and we give ourselves the credit for what only God is able to bring about. Where does your pride exist today, church? It does Pride exists in you today. Pride exists in me today. Where is it coming from? Is it coming from your family heritage? What your last name is? Is that what makes you feel great about yourself? And might because of the lineage that you have? Is it the nationality? Is it the place you were born? Is it the colors under which you stand and pledge? Is that where your pride is rooted? Is it in your ethnicity, whatever that is, giving you a place of of proud boasting and arrogance? Is your uh, your pride found in physical beauty? That's not where mine's at. But is it yours? Is it found in physical beauty? You're achieving it or trying to and wanting others to be like and want to be like you and, and chasing after beauty? Is your pride found in your accomplishments? The education that you've achieved. Oh, the great advancements that you've made in your career. The awards that you've been given. Maybe even the ministries that have grown under your leadership. Is your pride found in the things that you have done? What about the relationships that you have, people that you know? Does that fuel your pride? The person that you're dating, does that make you walk tall and feel good about yourself? What about the one you've married? Are you allowing that to fuel? Most of y'all are The women, the guys might be fueled by the proud of, look what I got, but the women don't do. Where's your pride? Is it in your skills, your abilities? Are you athletic? Do you have great academic ability? Are you musically inclined? Do you work great on cars? Do you make things look wonderful? Are you the best planner, administrator? Where's your pride? Is it in the stuff you're good at? What about your children and grandchildren? I'm not saying don't be proud of your children, don't be proud of your grandchildren, but Are you elevated in your place? Are you teaching your kids to walk around in pride because of the place they're at in the academic ladder? To to be the best on the court or on the ball field so they can have all the... Where's your pride? Some of us are proud in our lack of all of those. We say, I don't have anything of that, and I'm just proud of it. That's more. That's more. Where that's my lane. Where I'm in. Yeah, proud of redneck shoot, Yeah, <laughs> pride. We've all got it, and it's ugly. First Peter five, five and seven. Middle of the verse, verse five. Peter says, "Follower of Jesus, clothe yourselves, all of you." With humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. God still opposes the proud. You know why? Because it's ugly. Proverbs 16:5 says it's an abomination to him. Proverbs 16:18 says, it comes before destruction in your life and mine. It's ugly. And God opposes it. But he gives grace to the humble so humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you all the while casting all your cares all your anxieties on him because he cares for you follower of jesus learn from nebuchadnezzar's experience see daniel chapter 4 and let's learn a lesson here daniel saying hey What if we were to avoid all of that opposition that comes about in our pride? What if we just humbled ourselves today and avoided the fall that's waiting on the other side of the door? What if we just submitted ourselves and called our pride what it is, confessed it as sin, and then walk humbly following out the way of God's kingdom? That, in fact, is our application With every head bowed, with every eye closed, nobody's looking around. As God has spoken to me, so I know He's speaking to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, where's your pride? You know where it's at. You know where arrogance exists in you. You see it. You know it. Identify it and recognize it then do something about it. What do you want me to do, Pastor I want you to repent of it. I want you to call it sin. Call it what God calls it. Recognize it's not going to bring about anything. The likes and the loves and the admiration that you so desire is never going to come to you through pride. Even what does come will be short-lived and fleeting and never satisfying. But God lifts the humble. God raises them in their humility when we recognize just exactly who we're not, but who He is. Identify your pride, repent of it, confess it, and then decide today, right now, March 26, 2023. God, today, I just want to recommit to moving forward, exercising humility toward you, And toward my brothers and sisters, help me remember every day who I am because of who you are. And help me bask in your glory and desire your name to be praised. And put those words on my lips. Give me the courage to say how good you are. And desire not just others to like you, but to surrender to you in faith. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, humbly submit to the gospel. Jesus crucified in your place for your sin, raised to provide for your redemption. Father, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need your great salvation, and I trust Jesus. I trust Jesus as my Savior. God, I want him to be my Lord. I want to be your child. I want to walk with you. And I want you to walk and lead me. If that's you today, embrace him by faith. And then don't leave before you tell us what happened because we want to rejoice with you. Christian, look at me. Church, look at me. Share your stories. Where you have fallen and God has picked you up. Don't hide those stories. Don't hide where you've been proud. Don't hide where you have fallen, where sin has taken you captive. When you receive forgiveness and restoration, you're better than Humpty Dumpty. You're not just put back together. Your mess is reformed as a whole new unit for God's glory. Don't hide your stories tell of God's grace in your life through restoration and humbly give Him glory. Amen? Let's stand together if you will. Church, I love you. I'm glad you're here. Recognize that we need one another. No big ones and small ones. Just us. Being who God's called us to be. Championing his gospel that's our mission i hope that's your desire and if you're a part of us as covenant partners i hope you're digging in on the things you promised if you're not you'd like to know what that means and let me know we'll tell you about it christian follow jesus faithfully this week humbly in surrender father we thank you for the day we thank you for the chance to be here we praise your name we echo king nebuchadnezzar I don't know. Maybe he had saving faith. We don't know. Maybe King Nebuchadnezzar is in the presence of your son. I hope he is. I hope that what we read was actually his confession and his salvation. I don't know. But I sure hope it was. But whether he was redeemed by faith in only you or not, I'm going to steal his words. You are God most high. And you are worthy of praise. You are everything. And apart from you, we are nothing. But with you, you will accomplish in us everything you set out to do. Give us that confidence. Fuel us in that truth. We love you. We trust you. For says, in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our returning King. And everybody said... Hey